Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Sachim, daf tet, nine. So our daf begins here with the new Mishnah, and it's really kind of a quirky little Mishnah. After we've had all this discussion about, you know, doing a B'dikat Chamet uh, on the evening and what the word or means and all these beautiful psukim and Midrash Halakha that we just read, we now have this very, I consider it to be a somewhat odd Mishnah. And the Mishnah reads as follows. So this Mishnah is talking about that period of time after someone has completed the Bidikat Chametz, right? You've gone through your house or your storehouses that needed to be searched and you made sure you got rid of all the Chametz and, and, or you, you know, that, you shouldn't have any more for over, uh, for over chametz. And it says one doesn't need to be concerned that maybe a weasel dragged chametz from house to house or place to place. Meaning, if something's already been searched, we don't need to worry about the fact that this weasel or some animal could have come and taken chametz from one place where you knew there was chametz, right? And or it could be, you know, that chametz from the outside and brought it to the inside. Because why? Because if so, right, then we could be worried it could go from chatzar to chatzar, right, courtyard to courtyard, or city to city. In other words, there would be no end to it. Like at some point, we have to be able just to say it was searched and we know where the chametz was or wasn't, and we're not worried about new chametz coming in. Now, I think, first of all, this probably was a very practical um, Mishnah in the sense of we live today um, very sort of animal insulated lives, as I like to think of it. Um, you know, my kids always like when there's like a bug in our house or something like that, we actually had a garden snake in our basement a couple of weeks ago and my kids like freaked out. And I just was like, it's just like, it's a garden snake. It's not going to do anything to you. But my point is, I think this was something they really had to deal with. There were animals that probably went in and out of houses, took food, got into food or things like that. You know, we deal sometimes with some mice or things like that, roaches. But I think this was probably much more practical, you know, even though I know I started off by saying it was peculiar. Um, but the real point of the Mishnah is, is to basically say, once you've checked, you've checked. We can't create this system where it's sort of like you doubt yourself, you know, sort of almost in an, uh, you know, in an obsessive way, right? That maybe somehow Hamid got somewhere, even though you checked it. Once the Bidikat Chametz is done, we consider it done. And we don't worry about sort of all these other ways that maybe it could have, you know, come into a house. Right. I, look, I think the, the you know, Yordana, when we were talking in preparation, we talked about the difference here between when you have certainty that something has happened and when you have a suffix, when you have a doubt that something might have happened, that it could possibly have happened. So the fact that an animal, it's what you said also now, that there's no end to it, right? That if you say, well, that could have happened, you could really drive yourself crazy. And of course people do, but they shouldn't because the halacha here draws that line around it and says, you know, here's a possibility. And then after that, we say, no, we're done. Um, I think that this Mishnah is, is kind of adventuresome, I would say, in recognizing that there is a possibility that there's chametz where you didn't put it because you could have had a hold in your house. You could have had some other creature, you know, move the chametz around. 
But then once you've checked, now you can cross it off your list. Exactly. Now, before we get to the actual sort of halachic uh, essence of what this staff is talking about, which Anne is going to discuss, uh, which is re- what you just said, Anne, which is the idea of like a, a, a suffix turning it into a vada, right? A possibility. And can we say that it's something with certainty? Um, there's, you know, a lot of sort of weirdness on this staff. Um, there's a lot of discussion about stillborns and miscarriages and fetuses that I think quite honestly is, you know, discussed in a way that I really could see many learners reading this stuff and just not it not sitting well. You know, there's sort of first of all, it's a little graphic because um, it talks <laughs> about, you know, the idea that like a weasel could have eaten it or the the story with the coin, the coin having to check, you know, this weird story that's told about like, uh, this slave woman of a Jew who seemed to not be a particularly nice person and she had to dispose of, you know, she disposes of it in a well, like in a way that's not so nice. Like the whole thing just doesn't sit. I don't know. There was something about this stuff that just made me feel like this is a heavy dot. Like I could see where someone could read this and sort of feel like there's nothing emotional about what it is that they're describing here or sort of a little bit of a lack of sensitivity. I think there's also a little bit, at least at the beginning, when the topic is introduced, right, where it says, you know, it quotes uh, this Mishnah about the Midirot uh, Hagoyim, right, that the residences of non-Jews are considered to be Tmeim because they sort of don't bury, um, there's, you know, they wouldn't bury a stillborn in an appropriate way, um, and therefore their house would be considered to be Tame. So there's also, like, that's a little bit on the top as well. I don't have good answers for this, but I think Anne and I always feel like we should be sort of upfront with our learning and never sort of, you know, provide a, a, yeah, like an apologetic, like I'm willing to sort of sit here and just be like, this staff gave me pause and just made me a little uncomfortable and that we were sensitive to that there certainly could be learners or readers of the staff who like did not, this was not a pleasant staff for them uh, to learn, maybe based on their own life experiences or just being sensitive to that other people may have had experiences where they've had to deal, dealt with some of these issues. I think it's not, I think certainly Ahmed Aleph in this, and part of Ahmed in this context is not a pleasant death to learn for sure, regardless of anybody's life experiences. Um, You know, thinking also of all the men who've been learning, you know, for generations. Um, I would note that this is also one of those things that has changed, you know, dramatically over the years, the idea that, there are miscarriages, certainly there are, and we know this, it's something, you know, somewhere we've just, I don't know how many people have read the very famous, there's a very recent famous article discussing miscarriage about, you know, 10 to 20% of women have suffered a miscarriage. And in the Orthodox world where people tend to have more children, that number may be higher. But in the world of fertility and bearing children, you know, stillborn uh, babies are much, much less common they, than they once were. Death in childbirth is less, much less common than it once were. Meaning the whole phenomenon of, of modern medicine and birth is really very, very different than it once was. And I think that this is, uh, this highlights that, you know, the, the idea that, uh, that anybody would have the remains of a miscarriage of a stillbirth in their home is unheard of nowadays. Um, you know, there's no, there's no 
question of you know burying properly now people have you know rightly or wrongly people have ceremonies you know it's a very different kind of thing and um i think that all of that makes us more sensitive to what's going on in the duff i think that some of this lack of emotion your data that you mentioned i i it's possible that that's because it's not the women themselves doing the talking on the duff but i think it's also because they had to be so much more matter of fact because this was like you know not that it was nothing but that it was commonplace in a way that you had to kind of you know gird yourself against yeah so i i think you know we just want to sort of acknowledge it keep that space of it you know while we go through this stuff and and just say that we know that we know that it's here you know we, we just couldn't sort of you know record this podcast this episode and not sort of acknowledge it but and I'll, I'll hand it off to you to now sort of get to the halachic discussion that's really on this page right i'm gonna pick up the gemara then of course goes back and talks about the mishnah which is you know does not really about all of this um difficult part of the daf the gemara says well what you know do we say that we don't have to worry that maybe the hulda you know rolled away dragged away the chametz you know which means that it would have gotten put in some kind of sneaky kind of place the idea that you know that what happens if that same holda took the chametz after you've already done your badika and now you've got chametz in the place that you've already done the badika you don't you have to go searching after it and the answer is going to be no. But this is this is the question. Amar by Lokasha, it's not a problem here. Why? Ha ba'asar, ha bishloshasar. Abai says, no, we're talking about they were talking about an Ahulda who did all this, you know, pull, you know, taking Khamids and running away with it to a different part of the house on the 13th of the month of Nisan. So then when you come to do your bidika on the 14th, you would find it. Right on the thirteenth, you still find bread everywhere in the house. So then you would not worry that the holder would hide matzneya would hide the chametz to begin with. But then the holder might actually do this hiding of the chametz on the fourteenth. And then we have Rava with one of the best lines in all of Shas. And I say this not having seen all of Shas yet. And still I stand by this statement. And is that weasel a prophetess? Now, this requires a little bit of background information to understand just exactly how good of a line this is. And it's truly a line. And it's truly Rava being punchy in his, in his formulation. Because in the book of Kings, Malachim Bet, the second book of Kings, chapter 22, there is indeed a prophetess, a fem- you know, a, a live person prophetess whose name is Hulda. Now, why her parents named her Hulda is not clear to me. The idea that you name someone a Hulda and a modern Hebrew Hulda is a rat. This is not the most complimentary name. On the other hand, there's all kinds of animal names that are in play, and we don't question that. So when Rava here is, Rava is not talking about Hulda the prophetess in the book of Malachim, right? In the book of Kings, he's talking about the animal. But his line is, is, is Hulda a prophetess? Meaning like that prophetess, Hulda? And it's such a good reference. He, he nails it. And of course, his real question here, meaning from a halachic standpoint is, 
why would a Hulda know whether your calendar tells you it's the 13th or the 14th, whether it's going to be, you know, upfront about the fact that it's taking Hamid into the next room or, or um, hiding it? Right, that how does this Hulda know that it's the 14th of Nisan and that nobody's going to be baking until the evening and so it's going to leave over the bread and then it's going to, you know, cover it up. Ella, I'm a Rava, rather, I'm Rava says, Mashmi Shayri and Chenu Betzina, Shemati told Hulda Bifanenu, Vehit Sarich Bedika Harav. So Rev says the concern is really that after you've done with your, your search, right, that what if the Hulda puts, puts Chametz in a hideaway place or <clears throat> the Hulda, you know, that what if you knew that there's a Hulda there and it would take your Chametz and then you have to go check, check after it to see where it might have taken any Chametz. So as I say, one of the best lines in Shas and a very, pra- you know, employed in the in a very practical way to try to figure out, well, do you need to do a second Padika or would you not need to do a second Padika at all? Well, I, you know, I also think it's it's insider, right? It's like you have to have a real knowledge of Tanakh to understand that. Like, Hulda is not a very well-known character, <laughs> but it's a great pun that he has there. Um, you know, look, this whole app is interesting where they're basically trying to find other examples of this concept of, you know, a suffix into a vajai. And I think some of what the stuff is trying to explore is, you know, how much when we say something could possibly happen, right? Do we do we rely on that as a precedent? Whereas here, this Mishnah really the Mishnah Sakhim at least really wants to say like, yes, there's a possibility of something, but we're just going to totally discount it. Like once you've done your Badika, it's Vadai. It's, we know for sure that it's been checked. We're not going to worry about the possibility that it may not have been checked. You know, whereas I think the best Mishnah that was sort of the inverse of that was the case of the Chaver, right? That if somebody who we know is very careful to do Truma and Maser, even on the day of their death, we assume that everything in their house right? Had Truma and Maser. And I read that and I was like, well, if somebody was like on their deathbed all day, like, do we really assume that? But it, yeah, we do. Like, that's what the Chazaka is. That's what's, that's what's saying the Vada is. Because it usually, it's not that it usually is. It really always is. So we allow it to always be, right? We just say that that, that has to be true. Well, I think that's what we talk about when we talk about a halakh truth, as opposed to necessarily a scientific um, checkable truth, right? That that once we have a halachic principle in play, the halacha stands. If you have a chazaka, it stands. Even if you could check after it and discover that it's false, you don't check after it. That's the whole point of a chazaka. A chazaka meaning something that is established by virtue of um, a certain regularity that you can come to trust it. And then once you can trust it, you don't have to check after it. I just want to comment that the Hulda here is truly, literally talking about a rodent. But from a halachic standpoint, the Hulda can also be figurative. And I always um, think about the Cheerios that can go from room to room in a house that has small children in it, right? Meaning very young children who are not aware of the fact barely that they're dragging their Cheerios with them. And now when you do your check, you know, <laughs> if you don't get rid of them before the 14th of the month of the of Nissan, you're going to find Cheerios in another room because I mean, maybe not, but it's, uh, it stands to reason. And then you have the phenomenon of the Hulda without the actual animal. You don't, you know, you're Danny, you said 
we live in a much more animal sterile zone these days. I mean, pets aside, right? Uh, but but we still have this phenomenon of the possibility of chametz making its way from one room to the next without you having done so. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's an, again, I just found the whole Mishnah itself. It's just quirky. It's a quirky way to make its point. But again, I also think this might have been like super practical in a way that I just can't relate to. Like if you were going to write your Mishnah about this topic for Pesachim, is that how you would have constructed that Mishnah? Right. If I were concerned about children moving food in, in irresponsible ways, I would say, you know, keep, you know, protect after your children, whatever. Right. But we all know that that sense of like where we cleaned our house or, you know, when we were little and your mother would say, you may not the top floor, you know, the, the bedroom floor. <laughs> no one is allowed to walk there anymore with food, you know, like the day after perm, of course. So I, I just think, you know, I do wonder if it does have some practicality for some of that. I mean, again, it's talking about the time of the Badika. It's not talking about the 30 days before, obviously. But um, it just, you know, I think we've all lived through that. We're like, you know, there was areas of your house that were totally off limits from eating any chametz in. For sure. And here, I think you're right. I think that this is the kind of possibility that is outside of somebody's hands. And this is, again, where we talk about chazaka and the vadai, the certainty or the or the possibility that there's an issue, right? It, do you have a possibility of a rodent bringing food from one room to, a ne- to the next in your house? And do you already have a chazaka established that you've done your badika and you don't have to check again? Right. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Brinkus, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you for Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and some of its difficult points um, and some of its interesting points on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.